Hey there, and welcome to Inside Cafe, where we are going to explore the experiences of adventurers, students, and workers that have decided to come to live in China. Cafe is an ancient name for China, and Marco Polo, a European traveler, had a sole objective to prove that China was not only riding northern horse tribes and southern agriculture peasants, but an immense country with a sophisticated variety of cultural traditions, people, and customs. We intend to explore the Marco Polos of today who have come to find a 21st century China. We will dig deep in order to gain an insight into the encounters, struggles, and the successes which they have experienced along their way. This podcast aims to provide you with exciting stories about a country that has been misunderstood by many, but understood by few. Inside Cafe will give you firsthand the stories of the few. Our goal is to provide a platform for every adventure that has come to China from all corners of the earth. We will cover as many nationalities as possible and speak to people who have many diverse opinions. In an era of globalization, getting to know a little bit from everyone is a way to bring you on a journey around China and show how our interviewees have found their own cafe. Inside Cafe is the Sabri Podcast, the Student Association of the Belt and Road Initiative. So today we have Kate Smith with us, who is on our second episode of Insight Cafe. Uh, Kate is an Australian student who's been in China for more than seven years. She completed her master's and PhD with a focus on the water and energy nexus from the School of Environment at Tsinghua University. She also won the Tsinghua University Outstanding Student Award in 2018, being the only international student to achieve that feat in the last five years, which is amazing. <laughs> She has been president of RISE, a student organization focused on water sanitation in rural China, and founded the International Student Ambassador Program at the School of Environment. She's also published a book in Chinese about her China stories. So as a person with immense talent, Kate speaks four languages fluently and is currently learning another, and is a leading personality who inspires everyone who has met her. Welcome to Insight Cafe, and thank you for talking to us. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. So, Kate, as a... A book writer. Uh, could you tell us a bit about your first memorable story that then became documented in, in your book? It's this first story that I wrote, actually, when we were proposing the book to the publisher. And it's something really important about my first period in China, one and a half years. And it's a story about having host families in, in the south of China. It was very hard to find a host family at the start because... It's not when you don't have a, a good network of people, uh, you don't really know where to look for someone who's willing to take you into their house and trust you for two months or even nine months. I stayed with one family for nine months. And uh, and then, you know, things change within the household and uh, it, people live in apartments in China, so they only have two or three rooms in their mm -hmm. house. So after two months, people would say, okay, we have a sick relative um, we need to have the spare room. Can Are you able to find another family? So I moved out of two households in the same way because of a sick relative. And then finally I found a house that had, I think they had like nine rooms and maybe they had like a KTV room. Oh, wow. And I stayed, or I, maybe they had something like seven rooms and a KTV room and they had a big lounge. And so I stayed in there and I never got kicked out. They had so many people come <laughs> to stay one night and still I Did had my room. Did you all do room. KTV at the same time? Did you all like use the room? I think the KTV room, because they'd had the house for a long time, the KTV room was something from, you know, back in the days when they're, you know, the 
children and the parents would sing. I, I don't know what they used it for, but it had so been a really con- big thing here. It was, yeah. And so they obviously thought, okay, we'll have our own personal KTV room, but now it's just another bedroom, a massive bedroom, but still just a bedroom. So that was one of the first stories in the book. And I really like the fact that I had host families because that was definitely a good introduction to aspects of China and also uh, Chinese language that I would not have been able to get without host families. Where was this experience? You say South China. Where, what was the location? In uh, Nanning, which is the capital of Guangxi, which is probably most well known to people who haven't spent a lot of time there for Guilin and Yangshuo. Okay. Now you're in Beijing. Do you see a huge difference between northern people of China and southern people of China? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the Chinese people, um, I mean, the southern people are shorter. That was <laughs> that was a big difference in terms of you can actually find some genuinely tall people in the in the in the north of China, and it sounds like a silly observation, but I have seen some girl uh, girls at Tsinghua who are so tall, and yeah, I'm yeah. a tall person. I'm one seventy six, and these girls are so tall. I'm surprised that in China, where people are considered to be a little bit shorter than say Western countries, mm-hmm. but in the in the south of China, uh, there's definitely a big difference. A thing in terms of people in general, not not just the Chinese people, but the Western population. It's very different. When you go to a city like Nanning, people are generally just students or teachers. And in Beijing, you can find so many different types of professions represented. And also there's a really strong community for each nationality, I guess. For the bigger nationalities, like mm-hmm. the Australians have like a very strong community. So I never realized the importance of having that community until I came to Beijing. It didn't exist and I didn't know that it was important and could be so valuable when I was in the south of China. I was going to ask actually, just sort of backtracking, what actually brought you to China in the first place? We haven't really covered that. So like, yeah, what was your main, was it to study or did you come wanting to learn the language? What was your main reason for originally coming out? Secretly, the reason was to learn the language and mm-hmm. to study. But because I'd spent, you know, I just I just graduated from my bachelor degree when I came. I graduated at the end of 2010 in December and I was here in China by the 22nd of March. I remember it's either the 20th <laughs> or the 22nd of March in 2011. And I had just done like many years of bachelor and I didn't want to come as a student. I wanted to work Mm -hmm. as a teacher and also study alongside, especially because when you're learning at a basic level, I think that you can actually do that very successfully. Like you can, I think that the environment that I had in my host family and also the four hours of uh, private classes that I had each week and my own homework that I did made me kind of advance at the same level as the international students who were mm-hmm. spending most of their time in classes. And I was spending most of my time in classes, but I was the teacher mm-hmm. for the English classes. And um, But I don't think that really was a bad thing. I think I kind of just learned at the same level as everyone else and I was able to earn money as well to support myself. That's another thing, like I didn't really have, <laughs> I didn't really have much money to go on studying <laughs> mm. forever. I needed to be able to support myself at the same time yeah. as I paid for my lessons. Yeah. Are the salaries in the South comparable? Because I know that like famously in Beijing, if you're a foreign teacher, it's relatively well paid, even if you've got very little experience. Is it the same in the South? 
So what have you heard from Beijing? I'm interested because well, I, I know it's not the same. Obviously, as, the South. as a Brit, I know a lot of Brits who teach who come straight out of university with no teaching experience, and you can be on your. I mean, I don't know how, whether I should. What is it in? I mean, obviously per. Oh, in Renminbi, you can. In Ren, I mean, between. So I mean, three hundred RMB an hour. Mm. which is what, like, I know people that are on 20,000 a month, for example, like, it varies so much, but I know it's, like, it's good compared yeah. to what you would get in the UK as a qualified teacher, or I'm sure, I, I think as well, in China as a qualified Chinese teacher. Yeah, you yeah. Get a lot less. So I just wondered what the, the scene is like in the South, if it's the same. Yeah, so if you were doing, in the South, uh, when I was there, 2011, and things will have changed since uh, since then. So if you were getting paid an okay rate for external classes, mm-hmm. uh, that would be 100 yuan per hour. And if you were getting underpaid for classes you're doing on top of your normal uh, mm-hmm. work, uh, then if you're getting underpaid, that would be 80. And if you're getting paid, you know, pretty okay, like, you know, they're, they're a nice school, that would be like 120. And if you're doing private classes with some parents who are able to pay you directly, it might be yeah. higher. But um, for me, uh, in a university that gave really great holidays and was reputed to be like, well, it's the best university, I think, in the province, Guangxi University, mm. and that was the best uh, job that I could find when mm. I kind of scoped things mm. out. It was um, 5,000 yuan per month um, plus accommodation on campus. Right. And that's really low compared to Beijing. Mm. But uh, I think that was quite fair for uh, Nanning. I think yeah, people were able to... Yeah, people were able to, You don't have to pay for accommodation. I think if you pay for your food, I mean, it wouldn't cost you more than like 1,000 unless you're like paying for like very expensive restaurants. Yeah. Did they provide you with a host family? Because oh how yeah, so had it. Yeah. To, how did you manage to get a host family in the first place? Well, okay, so firstly, I went in March, and I didn't start at the university until August. So there was a period at the start. I came. So if anyone knows the times of the Chinese semester, March is like the worst time to come and try and find a teaching job because. Chinese New Year is at the start of February and everyone started uh, the semester by, I guess, the end of February or something yeah, like that. around 20th, I would say. So I was coming at a time where everyone had, all the teachers had already been found. I happened to find a kindergarten, actually, that their teacher had gone home and never come back. Um, so they went home for the Chinese New Year and then they just didn't come back. And they were called an international kindergarten and they had no international kindergarten uh, teacher. So right. they were pretty... Uh, upset about that and so were the parents so it worked out really well because both of us were in a difficult situation and they were very fair as well like they paid me very fairly because the one thing I was not interested in coming to China for was to get taken advantage of so I was very careful to make sure Mm -hmm. that I knew Mm -hmm. what was going on and so the host families I'd already found like two before I went to work at the university like I found each host family through contacts that I made through the jobs and so by the time the university gave me this accommodation on campus I actually didn't use it like I used it during the day but I stayed with my host family at night so I was paying extra to stay with my host family and I could have saved money by staying at the um, accommodation every night Mm -hmm. but I would have lost so much that it was not worth it like it was unbelievably absolutely like in terms of like development it Mm -hmm. was so much better to be with the host family like you have no idea like how many times like 
I would learn a word in the textbook and then my someone would use it in my house while they were watching TV like、mm. they would be watching this program about the Chinese and the Japanese fighting and then they would say and then the Chinese had victory and I would have just learned the word for victory in my textbook and there's no way you can recreate this if you're、yeah. living surrounded by foreigners in like university accommodation I had a similar so, experience last week I learned I'm going to pronounce this wrong and you're going to probably tell me it's wrong gaosu like to tell Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to see Mamma Mia in Chinese last weekend, which was amazing. Like the stage show, and they like translated all the ABBA songs into Chinese, and they were like "Gao Su Ni," and I was like, "That's the word!" I yes, which I guess it's a similar thing. Like unless you throw yourself in, I can't believe I just sang on this recording. That's terrible. I can't, I、yeah. can't believe they translated the songs from、yeah. ABBA. It was impressive. Like soundtrack is on order. I'm excited.、Yeah. <laughs> like, it was really good. And it like does so. Mamma Mia in Chinese will be in Beijing, and then it'll go like what to to Shanghai, or is just I, like a. Kind I don't of- know. It's it. I, they've definitely done it in multiple countries. I'm not sure if it's traveling around China. I'm not sure, but. Wow, that's incredible!、Good. I think、yeah. it's on tonight and tomorrow. If you're interested, wow, <laughs> that's okay. When it finishes. <laughs> but it was very good. But yeah, that that situation of having heard a word that I probably wouldn't have internalized. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly it was like, that's it. And I'm pretty sure that's in there long term now because I was、oh, so is, like surprised and like excited <laughs> by knowing what it meant. Yeah, and and you can't actually. I don't think do it without the textbook. Like I don't、mm. think I don't know about you, but I really think, feel like I wouldn't have learned、mm. um, things just by by. Picking them up.、Mm. I'm not. My brain obviously doesn't work like that in Chinese, but with the context, it just makes it really memorable.、Yeah. So my obviously my ability now is、uh, lower now because when you get to a, a quite high level, and then you're surrounded by people who can support you with a few English words because people at Tsinghua are very good at English. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You get a little bit lazier and you don't、uh, learn at the same level. So,、uh, but definitely a start. It was very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Are you still in touch with your host families? Any of them? All of them? Yeah. Well, I haven't been to Nanning since I think I went at the start of 2014, and I and at the time I was there, we didn't have WeChat, so I was like contacting them by email. And if I、um, go there, I would.、Um, oh, I just actually emailed. I think this year I've definitely had contact this year. I think, and、uh, one of them I have on WeChat. The other ones I email just to say, like, you know, what's up? Where are you?、Mm. And、uh, yeah, so how was that experience before WeChat? How how because oh, what's China like? Yeah, what's China、WeChat? like、yeah. before WeChat? Yeah.、Uh, okay, so I、uh, oh QQ right China、uh, QQ. before QQ before WeChat was was QQ. So what people would oh, and also what people would do before WeChat is they wouldn't ask you for the your WeChat. Well, that's the first step. Yeah,、no、yeah.、Scanning. So so people would say like. Actually, say what's your phone number? But I actually, and it's so weird for me to think back, like as if that's a weird thing to do. But、mm-hmm. it is really now. Like people just don't ask you for your phone number. They、people、ask just ask you for your name. Sometimes you get asked for your WeChat before you get asked for your name. I've yeah, had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because my yeah. Scan me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, I mean, people ask you like for your phone number only because they think your WeChat is your phone number, I guess. But and then sometimes I guess people would say, "Do you have QQ?" But I don't really think that QQ took off so much with the foreigners as WeChat. WeChat is like you know unavoidable, and and I don't want to avoid it either. 
Uh, but QQ was just never something I felt like I needed, and foreigners definitely wouldn't be giving me their QQ. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember people being surprised that I didn't have QQ. They were more surprised that I didn't have a phone number because actually okay. I did not have a phone for a year and a half. So, oh, yeah. Wow. So people would ask me for my phone number and I wouldn't give how, it to how them because that, I didn't have one. <laughs> so how was that experience uh, not well, having a phone? Because, I mean, for our generation, is, that is almost like impossible yeah. to have a phone for a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when I first came to... Uh, China on that first night I was like so lucky I actually just like randomly went into uh, a bar with some bar- all, all these foreigners there so they told me like a heap of useful information including like oh what's a good Chinese teacher where's a good place to work and one of them said to me what's your phone number and I was like I didn't have a phone and he was like well you're gonna get, have to get one and I said I'm actually planning not to get one and he said I think you will not last <laughs> and well he was wrong but I mean Challenge I think <laughs> like you know I mean I, I I realized after a week that I could just use Skype if I was like mm-hmm. in my house if I really needed to call someone I could just go on the internet and I could call them by Skype um, and then I had like a little book but I would write down people's phone number and I would, like, take it everywhere. And then uh, perhaps some people don't know this because they don't actually have to do this, but if you ask, like, random Chinese people on the street, they will pretty much... I've never had anyone reject me and say, no, you can't use my phone. Like, I have asked so many people, can I use your phone to call my friend? Like, we're meant to meet at 3 o'clock and they're not here. And they will just be like, yes. And I, I say, okay, well, I can give you like one yuan or whatever for, for, for the credit. And they say, no, 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 that's fine. So, yeah, yeah I mean, definitely possible. I, I, I think I'm, yeah, I had that, that experience. Well, not calling someone, but uh, I was in the metro. And nowadays we're so dependent on WeChat that we don't have physical money. But then if you want to charge your metro card, you need physical money, physical money and then getting an ATM is like, it's impossible because yeah, in the radius of like a kilometer, there's none. Yeah. And the, one of the security guards actually gave me money for the ticket. You know, like, yeah, just go, I'll pay for your ticket. And yeah, it was You didn't impressive. pay him back? He didn't I want wanted, I wanted like, I can WeChat pay you. And he was like, no, 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 just go. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. What? Okay. That's really yeah, nice. So, yeah. It's not the first time. I mean, with translations, I found out a lot. Like, if you're lost. Yeah. Luckily, nowadays, we have like apps that translate you like on the spot so they don't just tell you oh you want to go there okay just turn right turn left turn right and they'll say it in Chinese and then they'll show it to you the yeah. answer in English so it's perfect you know in that aspect my experience here was is very positive yeah yeah and I think that what you say about like the translation thing I think is something that people also worried about like they were like oh if I don't have if you don't have a phone if I don't have my phone How are you going to get out of difficult situations? Uh, For example, you need to translate something. That's kind of like a convenience thing. But you might have an emergency and then you can't contact someone. Well, I don't know. I just, I guess I never had an emergency. And also, if I had an emergency, I don't know who would be able to help me more than the person who was around me. Like, I just couldn't see at the time that that was going to help me out. And also I could speak to the people around me. If you couldn't speak to the people around you, then you would feel really stuck. 
Uh, mm. But I didn't have that issue. So yeah, let's. Should we move on to the next next question? This is sort of similar. So from all of your past experiences here in China, what has been the one that's made the biggest impact? I think I actually said here that it was the fact that I could always ask people for help. And I think one one other thing that separates China from other countries, I think in every country people really appreciate that you can communicate with them.、Mm. So in this way, language is quite important. Even though sometimes、um, it's not totally necessary to learn the language,、uh, oftentimes it it does help just in a personal kind of、yeah. you know making a good impression kind of way. So, but I've never seen this happen in other countries where、uh, you just have to try a little bit, and people in China will be so happy about that, and people will like be visibly like. Different in their kind of dealings with you, and the look、mm. on their face will be、yeah. different if you can speak a bit of Chinese. the The problem with this is you never know whether you got better or not, because from the time <laughs> I came here to now, it's like the 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 reaction is kind of similar. So I could、yeah. only say "ni hao," and then people would be like, "That's amazing." And then <laughs>、yeah. now people are like, "Oh, that's amazing!" I can't really tell there's a difference. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably one. Really nice thing about living in China. Yeah, and then the subsidiary question from that: something that's changed in yourself, things that you've changes you've noticed in your personality, maybe or your outlook since you came to China. Has there been anything that's made you? Yeah, obviously I didn't respond to that.、Hmm, what has changed <laughs> in me? Okay,、uh, all right. So unfortunately, I am a person who gets、uh, quite easily and visibly frustrated, and. Uh, but not by everything. So there's certain things that have kind of bothered other people、um, that they've told me about, and for me that's not an issue. Like China has too many people. For me, this is okay. Or people are spitting. You know, I can deal with that.、Uh, but for for example, something that would bother me is when、uh, I came to China before online. Train tickets were available, so I came to China and I happened to need to buy a ticket from Nanning to Beijing just on the time when they were going to open online tickets. And I didn't go online and buy the ticket. I went to the station, but most of them had already been sold out by that time. I didn't realize, but there was like a massive line, even though I was like right at the start of the, you know, the opening of the tickets, and I could see people like cutting into the line, and this. I mean, often I will cut the line with everyone if they're cutting into the line. But when you're buying a ticket at this kind of peak、mm-hmm. time, I feel like that's when you need to make a line. So I would be like, you know, why aren't you guys saying anything? Like, look at all these people out there. Like, why? Why are you calling them out? And sometimes, like, it's general. Like, there actually are people who are like cutting it in on in the line, and、uh, I feel. They should be called out, but in that particular situation, I was wrong. They were like, "You don't realize there's actually a train line, and there's a bus line,、oh, and、yeah. those people are just going in the door to get to the bus, <laughs> and no one wants to take the bus in China, so there's no line." And so I've realized that there's certain things that I should just. Except sometimes there's a reason for things.、Uh, sometimes, even when there's no reason for things, I probably would have been better just accepting. I think that's、um, something that I have realized and that may have changed. And also something that's changed is I can understand the Chinese perspective on certain issues 
better. Not to say that I will ever think exactly like a mm -hmm. Chinese person because that would be impossible, but I have more like gray area than I would have when I first came mm. to China. Do you think that you, you did you feel the cultural difference between studying in, uh, in China and in Australia? And that, how did you adapt to that? People often ask me the question, like, what is, what is it like to be a student at Tsinghua compared to what it's like to be a student at the University of Melbourne, which is where I did my undergraduate. And the, the issue that I have is that I was an undergraduate student in Melbourne and I was a postgraduate only in Tsinghua. So there's certain things that are so different between undergrad and postgrad yeah. that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. However, there are certain things that I can judge For example, the uh, relationship between the teacher or the supervisor, if it's a postgrad student, and the student. So here, I first when I first came, it took me a while to get used to having people say "老板," which is boss, my boss, <laughs> or the "老板" or the "老板." And I will never call my supervisor my boss mm. because this just is not the relationship that. Not that that's a bad thing. I just can't envisage mm -hmm, that this mm -hmm. person is my boss because uh, that's not how we would say in Australia. But on the other hand, I would never get used to calling him Shuming, which is his name, because here we always call him by his last name. Mm -hmm. And so even in English, I will use the word like uh even when I'm just talking in English to people. Whereas if I was in uh, Melbourne, it would be totally normal to say like, oh, John, my professor John, or call him John or whatever. <laughs> uh, and it would be weird to call him like Professor Smith or something like that. Yeah. So that's one major difference. Also, uh, I know that in Australia they have uh, two supervisors And I think that's the case in other countries. And here we have one supervisor in general. And I think that two supervisors could, perhaps uh, two supervisors could be beneficial in some circumstances. For me, it's always been good to have one supervisor. And I think people in Australia are a little bit more crazy when they're students than people here. <laughs> I mean, the craziest my students probably got, unless they didn't tell me anything, They would be like having tar and then like having pijo, uh, like, you know, having s meat sticks and, and beer out on the street. That's kind of their craziness. Whereas in Australia, my kind of my my vision of craziness in college would be people going out and getting so drunk that they end up like sleeping in the garden oh, yeah. or throwing <laughs> up or running around like nude, like in the college uh, grounds. And, I mean, my college has tried to change that over the years, but uh, definitely there's much less of a culture of just going out and coming home at any time of night and getting totally drunk here uh, and much more of a culture of, like, you know, the dorms have curfews, we have to have a shower at this time, <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't drink a lot because we're college students, like, you know, that's, that's a very big difference, I'd what's say. About, what about uh, having dinner? Did you have a lot of dinners here with uh, your fellow uh, colleagues? Because rather than dinner, doing yeah, other things, rather yeah. than going for a drink, yeah, like just having dinner and uh, yeah, right. So my professor would never say like, "Hey, like Kate, let's let's go to the pub and have a drink." It's just like that's just so random. <laughs> Whereas I think that in uh, Melbourne, or definitely there's people who have said, "Oh, you know, the professor would go to the pub." 
on Friday oh, with yeah, us yeah. or something like that. Whereas we would have, yeah, team dinners and uh, everyone would be sitting around the round table or when we want to celebrate as a team, uh, even just with the students for, for birthdays, we would go for dinner. Yeah, we don't, we don't go for <coughs> drinks and definitely I'm not going to say to my team, let's hang out at the bar <laughs> and even less go to a nightclub. Like I would yeah, never yeah. suggest to my, to my friends, hey, let's go out and go to a nightclub here. And uh, how do you like that, uh, the way they commune, like, uh, during dinner, the round table, yeah. the, uh, sharing the food? Because then again, that's something that we normally don't do. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I mean, I've done that so, like, for eight years and in my host family immediately. It was always like that because they would make me Chinese food. So I, I enjoy that. I can also have uh, Western food with the separate plates with no problems. I can have the, the Chinese uh, plates. But I do feel like if I book uh, something for my team or, or they book something for me or whatever for a birthday or something, uh, it would be weird to have separate plates. It just doesn't feel like we're celebrating anything. Mm -hmm. It's fine if we're just going up for dinner with four people or whatever, but not as a big group for celebration. It just doesn't have the same feeling for me. So, yeah, you're right. It's important to have that Chinese <laughs> aspect. That's interesting. Okay, we should probably wrap, wrap up now. Up. So our final question, which we're, we're asking everyone, do you have a favorite Chinese word, phrase, something that you'd like to... Maybe something that reflects an experience you've had here. What I forget what Taylor's was in episode one. He yeah, said it was a it was a proverb that he liked. I can't. I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but it was a proverb. The mountains are always bigger. Uh, something like yeah. So <laughs> yeah, do you I have anything that you'd like to contribute to our little dictionary we're building up from our interviewees. I, I definitely have one. I'm not, maybe not going to get it right because my Chinese literature and sayings is like stuck in just. Taiwan, which is about five years ago. But when I was in Taiwan, I did like old Chinese. And one of mm. the things that we studied, the text was Da Xue, which is to give like great leaders of the past times some kind of like lesson. And the saying was like, it, it started from your mind and then it went to your heart or the other way around. Then it went to your body. Then it said your your house or your family. And then it said your country. And then it said like, you know, the whole world. So it was something like, uh, 一成而后. 新政,新政而后,新修,新修而后,家齐,家齐而后,国治,国治而后,天下平. And the, the meaning is, first you make your kind of mind or whatever honest mm -hmm. or kind of along the right way. And then you make your, your heart proper or honest or something like that. And then you make your, your body okay and healthy. And then you worry about like organizing your family and your house. And then, the then you go and you manage the state and then bring peace to the world. world. And I think right. that's really a good thing to say, because I think that if you can't manage what's going on in your own life, Meanwhile, you're busy trying to make the world better. I think you're wasting your time. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> awesome. That's a lovely beautiful. phrase. Thank yeah. you very much. Okay. Any yeah. other comments before we finish? Anything you want to say? 
any shout out to your book or oh yeah what's, what's the title of your is book it? oh that's gonna sound like horribly what's it called like self-promoting no, we're asking you it's the, 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 the title of my book is called and the name means uh, kimchi mm -hmm. uh, because the co-author was a Korean and uh, french fries because I'm kind of the standard western person so I guess that's the and then jajangmian is like a Chinese dish and uh, it's like kind of foreign uh, PhD students uh, their kind of experience in China That's my bad translation of the title. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that's our like 100 stories of our experiences in China. Awesome. Great. All right. And, and beautiful pictures by someone from Tsinghua School of Art and Design. Like she did such a great job of bringing to life what we wrote about. I was very impressed that anyone would find such interesting picture, like such an interesting picture in what I had to write. So awesome. Well, Kate. check it out if you're interested. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much uh, for the pleasure of having you here. Thank you so much thank for you. having me.